Well, Merry Christmas. Welcome to Redemption Gilbert. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, anybody have any shopping that they still have to do? Because I can make this quick because I got to get out there. So Bryson, I'll see you at the mall. All right. Um, so glad that you are here with us today. Uh, whether this church is home for you or this is something that you rarely ever do, so thrilled that you would uh, spend some time with us and be here. Uh, if you think about it, Christmas is actually kind of a time of year where we do all kinds of things that we normally don't do. So we, there's phrases that we normally don't say. We decorate our houses in a way that we normally don't. Uh, we eat things that we normally don't eat. We eat in a way we normally don't eat. Uh, we watch uh, a lot more movies on the Hallmark Channel than we normally would. Uh, there's a lot, of, yeah, someone clap for that? Great. Uh, there's a lot of songs that are kind of annoying, but we think they're really good this time of year. I'm not talking about you, Mariah Carey. We love you and your songs. Um, kids are kind of extra excited. Any kids excited for tomorrow? <laughs> That's so sad. All right, well, I feel bad for you guys. My kids are super excited. Uh, in fact, at our house, we have, Christmas morning is a way different morning than most mornings. Uh, first of all, the kids are up extra early. So school days, uh, they're not up this early, but on Christmas morning, they're up super early. Uh, and we like to put them through this full like breakfast thing. They never usually get breakfast, but we actually make them sit at a table and eat this big breakfast thing, so they have to sit through that. Uh, and then we'll read through the Christmas story, uh, usually from the Gospel of Luke, because it's the longest. Uh, and then we will work through the genealogy over in the book of Matthew. We think it's important for them to know that. Uh, and then after a long kind of a considerable amount of time of prayer, we get to a presence around noon or so. So that's not totally true. But we do do different things in this season. And maybe uh, that's part of why you're here, because it's just what you do. You do different stuff. Um, or maybe, just maybe, you've come to realize or at least maybe even consider uh, that there's something different about Christmas. And maybe Christmas should make us think differently or act differently. As a church here, we've been thinking about Christmas uh, as the greatest story ever told. And in this Advent season and the kind of time leading up to Christmas, we've been telling stories of joy and hope and love and peace because we believe, and the Bible teaches us, that all of those things came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, we also have an expression of telling that story to the world, telling that story through our Advent offering. This is just a tangible way for us to tell the story of joy and peace and hope and love in the person of Jesus to our neighbors who are close, near, and far. And so we take an offering that culminates here, and 100% of those funds go out uh, here in our city and in our state and really around the world uh, to be a blessing and to just tell the story of who Jesus is. But Christmas really is all about the story. I mean, some of you, you might have been in the story when you were a kid. Anybody ever dress up? You're like a lamb or a, maybe you got to be Joseph or Mary. I was a tree. That was the role they gave me. That tells you where my skill set is. I, I don't even know if there's a tree in the Christmas story. They just let me be that one. That's what they thought I could be. Um, one of our family's favorite Christmas traditions is the Christmas movie, which is really fun. Uh, and the Christmas movie are just stories that happen around Christmas time. So there are stories of the importance of a life well lived, like It's a Wonderful Life, or A Christmas Carol, or Miracle on 34th Street. Um, there are stories of a season of new hope, like White Christmas. This is my daughter's favorite. I don't get it. You, you guys can watch it together. <laughs> um, uh, there are stories about the importance of family, like Elf and Home Alone. Oh, there you go. Yeah, those are my people. Right, there you go. That's my cultural level there. Uh, Home Alone. 
Uh, Christmas Vacation is another one. Oh, see, see, all right, the four o'clock, you guys, I love this service. Uh, there's stories about the importance of gun safety, like a Christmas story, and there's, uh, there's stories of defeating terrorists, like Die Hard. So there's a lot of really important Christmas stories out there. And the point is, the point is, this season is really the season of the greatest story ever told. And what's so interesting to me uh, about the story is who actually gets brought into the story first. In Luke chapter 1, the scripture says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. The angel said, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he'll be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he'll be called the Son of God. So the very first person in the story is an unwed, pregnant teenager, which in this culture, extremely scandalous. When you turn over to Luke chapter 2, the story continues. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. And he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child." And while they were there, the time came for her, to be, for her baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified." But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will be great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Uh, You might have heard this story thousands of times. This might be the very first time hearing the story, but essentially what's happening here is the angels have showed up to the shepherds and they're saying, God is coming to earth. Now, if you're the kind of person when you come to a church service like this or you step into a gathering like this, your kind of way of thinking is like, I really shouldn't be here. If they knew anything about me, if they knew my story, they probably wouldn't let me here. They'd probably try to kick me out. Well, then this part of the story is for you. Because a shepherd in this day was most likely like an ex-convict. They would have had very difficult time finding employment or getting a job in any other vocation in any other field, no pun intended. Um, They were kind of like the bottom rung of the social uh, ladder in this culture. 
They'd made some bad choices. Uh, there were some things that kind of happened. And, and now these shepherds here in this story, they're actually working the night shift. So they're like a step below regular shepherds. And the thing that I love about the Christmas story is that the Christmas story goes to the lowest places first. These are the guys that God invites in first. Uh, you see, that's the difference between religion and the gospel or the good news. Um, religion tells you that you are the one that needs to clean up your life and get your life together first before you can be accepted, before you'll be approved of. Before God will consider you, before God would invite you in, you better just get your act together or at least clean it up, do better. And then once you obey him, once you can do enough to impress him, then God will say, good job, now I love you, now I invite you in. But the Christmas story kind of blows all that up. And God says, no, I'm going to the lowest places first. It goes to the shepherds, and he invites them to believe while they're still shepherds, while they were still a mess like me, like you. They're still sinful. One pastor has said it this way, religion tells us how far the journey is up to God. The Christmas story tells us how far the journey is down from heaven. You see, every form of religion says you have to earn it, and there's a kind of a weight with that. There's a kind of a heaviness with that, a kind of a something I have to carry to impress God. I have to show signs of improvement. I have to always try to do better if I want to be accepted. What's so interesting to me about that is that uh, the world's culture kind of has even adopted that or even kind of moves towards that. There's streams of advertising or social media or different kind of streams that we're going to say, yeah, if you want to be accepted, you need to earn it, and then you need to keep it up to keep it. Or if you want love, it needs to be earned, and it can be quickly lost if you don't do enough to maintain it, and you will be canceled. And yet God comes to the night shift shepherds, the ones no one else wants, the, no, the ones no one else pays attention to, the ones that are actually kind of despised, and God says, I'll take you. You get first dibs on me. That's grace. That's, that's my story. Uh, that's anybody who's in Christ's story. Um, in fact, my story is a mess. I'm still making messes, but yet God somehow loves me enough to let me tell other people how much God loves them. But, but Christmas is the undeserved and unearned favor of God coming to humanity in the most radical, life-changing way. And the good news about Jesus is filled with this grace versus religion with its like oppressive ideas about earning love and earning acceptance. But Christmas is all about this grace. It's made known to us stepping into our world in the person of Jesus. Frederick Buchner in his writing Secrets in the Dark says this, for what we need to know, of course, is not just that God exists, not just that beyond the steely brightness of the stars, there is a cosmic intelligence of some kind that keeps the whole show going, but that there is a God right here in the thick of our day-by-day -day lives who may not be writing messages about himself in the stars, but who in one way or another is trying to get messages through our blindness as we move around down here knee-deep in the fragrant muck and misery and marvel of the world. That is the miracle that we are really after. And that is also, I think, the miracle that we really get. That's Christmas. It's 
God kind of, if you will, kind of stepping out from behind the curtain and saying, I'm here. I care. I've, I've always cared. And now I'm here with you. I know that you are in the muck and the mire and the fear and the doubt and the sadness and the brokenness of what it is in humanity. But I am here. Now, most of you probably not really blown away by this idea that God came to earth and was born as a baby, put on flesh, walked among us. You probably heard that part of the Christmas story. Not novel, not necessarily new to most of you. But there's a deeper thing to consider that we don't always give thought to at Christmas time. And it's the question of why. Why did God come and put himself right in the middle of our story? There's a really important title that Jesus is given in the Christmas story. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, the angel says that the Savior has been born. The Savior. And here's what that means. It means we need saving. And it means we can't save ourselves. Um, I like how the theologian Taylor Swift puts it. It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. Because what she's identified is that we can't save ourselves. Now, for a lot of us, this is where we start to not like the story because we live in a culture and most of us kind of grow up in a world that has a way of thinking like, listen, if you do need fixing, if you do need saving, that's something that you can do on your own. We can save ourselves. If, if we do have something that's wrong with us, then we can simply just kind of fix ourselves. That's why when you go to a, a bookstore or you go in a book section, the most popular section is self-help books. And there's all kinds of podcasts and all kinds of seminars and all kinds of streams and all kinds of ways of how we can simply fix ourselves or save ourselves. And whatever is broken in us, we can just do better and just be better on our own. But the Christmas story and the gospel comes along and says, your problem cannot be solved by you because you are the problem. Your problem is actually solved by a Savior who comes from outside of yourself, someone who transcends you, someone who provides for you and who earns for you what you could never earn. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. Okay, so how does Jesus do that? The God-man Jesus, he comes as a baby, but he grows up as a man who lives a perfect, spotless life. He has a tragic death because he offends religious people, and his death serves as the perfect sacrifice to pay for the rebellion of humans who would put their faith and confidence in the perfect life and the perfect sacrifice of this God-man Jesus. On the cross of Jesus, the Bible teaches us that the wrath of God that was rightfully due me and you was put on Jesus so that we would be forgiven. Jesus died because of you and instead of you and for you. This is how the Christmas story culminates. Jesus doesn't stay a baby. He gives his life to earn salvation for you and dies in your place. One of our favorite storytellers uh, around here uh, is a man named C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a philosopher who was actually an atheist 
who came to know Jesus later in his life. And he wrote a story called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, it's a story that kind of takes place around Christmas time. And in the story, he explains the cross of Jesus in a really beautiful way. There's Aslan, who's the main character. If you've seen the movies or read the book, he's the, the lion, the Jesus figure in the story. And he goes and he dies for others to break the curse that's on the land and the curse that's on the people. And Lewis explains it this way in the story. So after Aslan resurrects from the dead, uh, the, the table, uh, which represents the law, has been broken. Aslan shows up to one of the younger characters, and she's asking, well, how is all this possible? Because the witch killed you in the story. And he says this, the witch knew the deep magic, but there is a deeper magic still, which she did not know, that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. Jesus comes and absorbs the death penalty for me and for you, for us in our place. And in that, death itself starts working backwards so that we would have eternal life. That's the Christmas story. And the question on this Christmas Eve is, what are you going to do about it? The reality that God came to the world, not to condemn the world, John 3, but to save it. The reality that he lived the life that he did, and he died the death that he did, and he rose from the grave. You have to do something with this story this Christmas if you've never have before. Because in the Christmas story, there, there's movement. We, we see the shepherds moving from simply hearing or seeing or being amazed or even interested into what was declared. But in faith, they move towards Jesus. They, they go from all the stuff that's surrounding Christmas, all the feelings that we have about Christmas to actual faith in the person that the Christmas story is all about. They're sitting there that night. The angels light up the sky. They say, you need to go. There's a virgin who had a baby. You have to go see it. You have to go talk. The angels leave. The shepherds are like, what in the world was that all about? But yet these ex-cons show up at Mary's door. Now, moms, imagine this. Sitting at home, first baby, fairly stressful birthing story, by the way, 15 years old, it's your first night, a bunch of ex-cons show up to see your firstborn son because God told them they need to talk to your baby. You're not into that. You are not having that. You're like, Joseph, call the cops, get the baseball back, get these guys out of here. But this is the scandal of the Christmas story. It's filled with fear and doubt and wonder and all the things that we bring to this moment. And the invitation of the Christmas story is to repent which simply means you turn from your sin and your rebellion and your current way of living and thinking and your belief in yourself, your faith in yourself, your confidence in yourself, and you turn to a belief in Jesus and his way of living and thinking and being. You believe not in yourself, but what Jesus has done for you. And the Bible says when you do, you'll be saved. The same way that the shepherds uh, responded to the invitation from God. You have the same opportunity this Christmas Eve if you never have before. The band's going to come up now, and, and, and we're done. But I have to just acknowledge this just kind of as we end, because uh, I know it's real, and I know it's, it's out there. But for, for some of you, um, this story is, is kind of nonsense, and there is a perspective that you might have, like, okay, this is a story that kids can believe around Christmas, like a lot of things that kids believe around Christmas. But I think what we need to do is just kind of grow up and move past the fairy tales and the myths and the stories. 
C.S. Lewis, when he came to the point in his life where he came to know Jesus, he said, I don't think our problem is that we need to grow up. I think growing up has actually clouded us because the clarity is in the simplicity of life, not the complexity of seeing behind the veil the potential of this world. He's talking like, you know, in the movies when the, the kids can see the magical thing that's happening, but the parents uh, don't believe them. They're like, animals don't talk. That's not really happening. But the kids can actually kind of see and experience what's happening, what's real in the world. I think it's why Jesus in the gospel says, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you need to become like a child. Because a child's not clouded by the concerns of this world. A, a, a child is not clouded by uh, their wealth or their careers or just all the myriad of challenges and insecurities of the world. When C.S. Lewis dedicated that book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, he wrote it to his granddaughter, Lucy, who's actually one of the characters in the story. And he wrote this. My dear Lucy, I wrote this story for you. But when I began it, I had not realized that girls grow quicker than books. As a result, you are already too old for fairy tales. And by the time it is printed and bound, you'll be older still. But someday, you'll be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. And then you can take it down from some upper shelf and dust it off and tell me what you think of it. What he's getting at there I think is maybe what we need this Christmas. Because we've grown and we've lost our way. And we need to come back to a childlike faith, to the story, the greatest story ever told. I think John in his gospel probably tells it the most beautifully. He tells the story like this, for God so loved the world, that he gave what's the best thing he could give, his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So this Christmas, it's an opportunity for us to return to, or maybe for some of you to get to for the very first time, this childlike faith and trust and confidence in the greatest hero of the greatest story ever told. And we're going to sing about him now.